Hey everybody, welcome to the Musea Podcast. This is episode number 16. Uh, I am Michael Howard, the founder of Musea, and uh, for this episode, I had the opportunity to talk with Kirk Mastin. He's a wedding and portrait photographer up in Seattle. And uh, this episode, uh, him and I, we talk about um, a lot of branding, we talk about pricing, we talk about how you get your ideal clients, um, gear, we talk about why he shoots film, uh, we talk about the PPA and get into some industry stuff, uh, and then we answer a couple of your questions that uh, people asked on Twitter and Facebook. So hope uh, you enjoy this one. I think it's going to be uh, a really good one, and it should get a really good response. So I had a good time talking to Kirk. So just sit back, grab some coffee, and I hope you enjoy. Thanks. Kirk, what's up, man? Hey, how's it going? Doing good. Welcome to the Musea podcast. <laughs> yes. Well, I put a post on uh, that Facebook group, and so we might get some random questions uh, for you kind of <laughs> over the next cool. hour uh, or not. So I don't know. We'll see. I've already got one, so I'll ask you later. But Nice. How are things going, dude? Good. Good. Really busy. Um, we were in San Francisco for a month. I was thinking about moving, every, or you know, our, my whole family moving down there and just kind of reestablishing down there. But oh wow! Uh, ultimately, we decided against it for now. But uh, yeah, I came back and there's a ton of stuff to do. <laughs> so. Yeah, yeah. You leave in Seattle. It's like beautiful up there, man. Why would you leave that place? Uh, it's just the weather. I mean, it's. It's like the perfect place for so many reasons. It, it really is. It's so nice, but it's just the weather. I mean, the weather is good and bad. It keeps a lot of people out, I think. But, I mean, for a reason. So Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> cool. Well, we'll get started here. I got a, just a bunch of random stuff. And then uh, we'll just kind of spin off on topics also as we go. Cool. So, but... Give me a little bit of history on just yourself, how you found photography when you picked up a camera, the usual. The usual. Um, I, I didn't even, I, I wasn't even interested in photography until I was like 21 or so. And uh, I got a, a Nikon N65 for graduation from college as a graduation present. And um yeah, I just started taking it on trips with me and stuff, and I thought it was really fun, you know, to take pictures. I was always into painting, like, since I was very little, like, two or three. Um, but painting was frustrating because you, you would work on one thing for, like, a few weeks, and then you would look at it and be like, ah, I hate this. <laughs> you know, it, it didn't match what I thought it would. Um, and with photography, I found that I could express ideas a lot quicker than with painting. Um so it was like I found I found the right tool at that time. But I, I was always interested in drawing or painting since I was like three, probably. Um, and it's it's a long story, but the gist of it is that uh, I went to school for environmental science. I went to um, South Africa for an economic development uh, graduate program. 
And while I was there, I met someone that was a photographer and we dated briefly and we both dropped out of school and, uh, traveled around Africa for a little bit. And I saw it, she was a photographer. So it, it really kind of showed me that, um, you know, how fun it would be to interact with people that way and explore that way. And that ultimately ended badly, but, um, I kept the photography. And when I got back, I, uh, told my parents that I wanted to be a photographer. Um, big fight ensues. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, like it, it kind of came out of the blue for, for everybody else, but it felt right to me. And, uh, I essentially just uh, devoted the next well, until now, I guess, to photography, um, with a few bumps in the road where I got frustrated and quit photography entirely. Um, but I always came back. So I, I was in the newspaper world for a while, freelance for a while. I've done stuff with the New York times. I was in the LA times pool for the Michael Jackson trial. Um, I tried the Brooks Institute. I didn't like it. Uh, and essentially, I learned the majority of what I know about photography from um, working as a caterer in Arizona in Flagstaff and going to Barnes & Noble and reading every photography book that they had for free and then just putting them back. Uh, <laughs> that's awesome. So, yeah. That's I'm trying mean, school. Uh, that's funny. Most, most people do the internet free reading, but you did the actual physical books at a bookstore and then just put them back. That's pretty awesome. Yeah. This was like way pre-digital in a way. I, I had a Nikon F4, which I thought was the most badass camera ever. And uh, yeah, it was just like looking at books. Um, internet sure helped though later, but yeah. So you're talking like 90s or mid-90s or what? Or early? Um, I, was, I was slow to like really take advantage of the internet for learning. Okay. So this was like in the in the early 2000s and I was still like just going reading like Ansel Adams, the negative and you know, his, his two big books on photography and then, um, whatever else I could find. So, yeah, I used to, I used to, do, the same, <laughs> I used to do the same thing in college. I would, uh, but I would go just look at photo books, uh, you know, the ones are like a hundred dollars and then I would just look at them and then I would just put them back. But I would never yeah. Buy them. yeah. <laughs> I couldn't afford anything. Yeah. And I worked my ass off just to get, uh, the first, my first digital body, which was a Nikon D 100 or something. And then, uh, yeah, that began my experimental digital phase that lasted a few years. Right. <laughs> so, uh, which is a good segue because you're obviously a film shooter. So I want to know your history with film in terms of, uh, you know, I guess how you, have you always shot film, which you kind of answered, and then, because uh, I know you have a Mark II, I guess, but what role does digital still play in your life, I guess, in career? Well, uh, all through my experience as a photographer, which is long and difficult and very insignificant up until, I'd say, a few years ago, um, I always used a film camera. Like, I, I was... I, 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 I would find out about some crazy camera like a Konica Hexar autofocus little point and shoot and I would save up and I'd buy it and I would shoot it for a while and then I would get like a Pentax 645 and try that out and you know and then sell it eventually but I had to have a digital camera in order to um, work at the newspaper so I was working in a newspaper and you know 
you're just kind of beaten down if you even spoke about film because they were like really, you know, there was this kind of digital versus film battle going on, which in retrospect is totally ridiculous. But at the time, people kind of wanted to just, you know, end that issue and just be like, all right, it's digital. Everything's digital now. It's better than film. Forget film. And uh, I just kept shooting it anyway. And uh, so I guess I was a hybrid shooter for a few years. Um, when I got into working, for, I started working with Aurora, which is a stock agency, um, and doing some freelance. I still shot digital because it didn't make any sense financially to shoot film for that kind of work. I mean, you would just make no money whatsoever. I mean, editorial rate is like, at the New York Times, probably right now, is like $200, which is totally pathetic. And I think at the height, it was maybe $525 or so. So you couldn't shoot film. Um, got into weddings, and I started realizing, and this was like eight or eight years ago, maybe, or seven years ago, um, started realizing that I couldn't get the same feeling, the same enjoyment I had with photography, with digital at a wedding as I did when I was shooting film for personal work. Um, and I didn't have a way to really express it back then, but I think it just didn't feel soulful to me in a way. Um, there's kind of a, there's kind of a mystery and a, and a magic and an unknown thing that happens with film that I still am fascinated by, which is where you have to like really visualize in your mind what the picture looks like. And then you have to wait sometimes weeks to see, you know, how it matches up. And the cool thing about film is that it would often surprise me and surpass what I was hoping it would look like. Like there would be some extra element in there that I didn't really think was going to come through, like some kind of humanness, um, a little bit of, um, flaw that made it even more perfect in a way you know it wasn't this like clean crystal clean you know noiseless almost plastic image that you would get from a digital camera it, it was instead something that was grittier and uh more emotional and and i started thinking that that's what i needed to bring to my my wedding work so yeah there's that's an extremely long answer <laughs> probably that have was, to be edited down. But. No, that was good. You you just knocked two questions out, out of the way, um, which was good. The, I mean, do you find? Because I find, I mean, because I am going back to film, and so because I was originally learning film, and then I did like a f six year stint on just one hundred percent digital. Now going back, uh, I think f uh, how you feel about film and how I feel about film is pretty similar. I mean, so for you, do you feel that? especially at a wedding, the process of film is, is attractive because maybe you're more engaged with the day because you have to be so observant and know, you usually have to know your craft to a, a bit of a higher level versus digital. You can just kind of chimp your way through the whole thing. Does that make sense? Yeah. To where half, yeah. half the day you're staring at the back of your camera versus like out in the world, you know? Well, I agree. Like, I would say one of the biggest like ailments of our generation is that we have very short attention spans. Um, we have so many things buying for attention, like iPhones, internet, this podcast, uh, uh, all kinds of things that, um, I think it almost affects 
the level at which we can be photographers. Like if we're constantly being pulled in and out of paying attention to the people that we're shooting or the, the environment that we're in or the emotion. I mean, if, if you're constantly, and, and it's, everyone does this, it's no one's fault. It's just the nature of digital. But since you have that, that feedback all the time, I think it kind of pulls you out of that space that you're in where you can make really good photos. You're like coming back in and exiting. It's like coming, it's like going in and out of a room a hundred times in a row to go check something, come back, check something, come back. And I think it, it distracts you from deeper things that you might be able to focus on if you weren't always leaving the room. Um, so with film, there's so many things that go on. I mean, some people talk about the workflow, like, which I think is awesome. Um, like Jonathan Canlis has been a big influence on me as far as like, he really discovered how film can get your life back. Like we're not sitting behind a computer trying to fix everything. Um, you know, with film, it's, it's a, it's a organic Photoshop process that happens on the film itself. Um, and then the lab takes care of it. So that's one side of it. But the other side of it that's really important to me is that when you're shooting with film, every shot has a cost to you. Um, and I think it makes you more careful and more focused on what you're doing. Like, especially with medium format. I mean, every time I push the button, it's like maybe $1.50 to $2 per time I push that button. And so I'm not just like rapid firing. I'm not spraying and praying <laughs> everywhere. No, you <laughs> Thank <didn't>. God. Uh, <laughs> I'd be broke in like five seconds if I sprayed and prayed, no matter, no matter what cool clothes I was wearing. Uh. Um, <laughs> uh, with, with film, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm more calculated. And I also know that it's going to have this, this look and, and this feel that I wouldn't be able to get anyway in Photoshop. So you're kind of killing two birds with one stone. You're, you're getting your focus back on the moment because every shot really matters. It's not spraying and praying. You're, you're really like shooting with a lot of intention. And the other thing is that you're getting your life back on the, on the back end. So when you leave the wedding, I've got a bag of film. I mail it to a lab. They deal with it. I can enjoy being with my family because life isn't only just about photography. That's really important especially for photographers that can get so wrapped up in what they do. And I, I've been there myself and being able to just send it away and know that in a few weeks, it's going to come back looking awesome is great. So those two are the biggest benefits of film. Um, a really cool side benefit too. Not that I'm like trying to like do the song and dance of film and sell it to everybody, but um, you're no longer limited to just a few different choices for what you shoot with. I mean, you go to a wedding and, and it's like, oh, it's got a Nikon or it's got a Canon or the D4 or the D3S or whatever. And t honestly, to me, they all look the same. They all look the same. I don't care how many megapixels it has. It, it, it looks pretty much the same. But when you go and explore all these amazing, great cameras that were built, you know, for the last like 70 years or, or longer, you've got cameras that have got very special signature looks, like their lenses, the way they were constructed, the coatings. Um, the size of the, the film that it takes, the, the format, whether it's square or rectangle or six by seven or six, four, five or whatever, you start to get kind of like a little bit of flavor with every, every camera that you use. And that, that opens up like this huge world to explore. 
Um, and it's really, yeah, it's awesome. It's really awesome. You can really fine tune what fits you, you know, your, your voice as a photographer. So yeah, awesome. that's another benefit. Yeah. I'm a hundred percent on board with that. Um, looking at your work, uh, today I was kind of going through it again and I kind of noticed you don't have a ton of, of black and white stuff on there. And so I was just kind of curious why you don't show that or shoot much of it. It seems like you're pretty much a color guy for the most part. Yeah. Um, I just, it sounds terrible, but I just don't care about black and white. It, it doesn't, it doesn't like excite me. I mean, I can see a really great black and white portrait or print and I, I'm like excited, but I don't approach the world that way. So I think, I think that when you are shooting black and white, you're probably looking at tones totally differently and, and, and relationship between form. Um, I see the world in color. I mean, well, duh, I guess everybody sees the world in color. <laughs> Unless you're colorblind or you're a dog or whatever. <laughs> yeah. Photographically you're, yeah. Yeah, and the the relationships between color are, are are pretty amazing, and and you can say a lot that way, and that that's what I focused on. And in my my whole business model is based around what do I do well, and really like amplifying that, and not trying to be everything for everybody, um, because most people are are that way, and I tell you right now, it's not a good strategy. Um, so I I just shoot what I love, I show what I love. People hire me for what I love to shoot, and that does not include black and white. So I, you know, anyone can take any of my photos and convert them to black and white, and honestly, that's probably as good as I could do it because I, I haven't studied it, and I don't, I honestly just don't care that much. So <laughs> I'm in love with color. Yeah. No, that's good. Yeah, I mean, I think um, I think that's good that you, yeah, Played your strengths in that way. Um, a lot of people flip back and forth between the two a lot, um, and I think if you work primarily in one, either color or black and white, for the most part, you're going to develop a stronger vision because you're going to see things a little different, you know. So, because um, I'm more of a black and white guy, uh, at least right now. So. Um, and it's just interesting to me to hear you talk about color, so that's good. Um, talk about your – I want to get into your branding a little bit just because you just touched on that uh, sure. with that comment. But looking at your site, one of the things I really like, which I don't see in a lot of photographer sites right now, um, or if I do, they're done <laughs> extremely bad and they're horrible and cheesy. Um, but I really love like the three videos that you have on your site, uh, kind of for your about page. Yeah. So if you can, I'd like to, for you to kind of talk about each one of those. Cause it, you have kind of like an about video, one that talks about film and then one that's about your albums, uh, and why mm -hmm. you made each one of those and what roles those play for you in your branding. Um, sure. So we're going to start with this. One of the, one of the three times I quit photography, I went back to school and I got a degree in digital media, a, a graduate degree. 
And I went to work for a company that was a video contest company where they worked with, I was a community manager of like 30,000 video creators. And one of them lived in Ballard. His name is, is Zeke Earl and his company is called Chef Films. And uh, I was always impressed with how he could tell a story, like take any kind of brand and like give it a personality. And I felt like that his vision of the world and mine lined up really well. And I kept him in mind for when later I went back into photography again. And uh, I started thinking like my website is often the only way that a client knows, knows me, knows who I am. They're looking around. And I was trying to see it from a client's point of view, like, when I say client, I mean bride and groom. They're hiring you because they like your style, I would hope. Um, and, and that I can talk about that later, about how that's kind of the key to my marketing, is showing, showing only what you really believe in. And, and you'll get the clients who believe in you. Um, but you, had to, you have to add an extra dimension to your branding to show who you are. Because they're not hiring your pictures, they're hiring a person. And they're trusting that person with a really, really, really important day of their life. Like, in my opinion, the most important. So you're going to be with this person all day, and you want to make sure that they're not a jerk or they don't have a personality that rubs you the wrong way. And the best way to do that is to, in my opinion, through a video. It's kind of like an extra dimension beyond print and text is a video. Um, the next best thing would be to, you know, meet someone in person, but that, that's impossible. And most of my bookings, I hardly ever meet anyone in person anymore because they're, they're all over. So the video is kind of a, you know, it says nice to meet you. And, and that's really what it is. It's like me meeting you, like trying to sum up my philosophy, why I love what I do. Um, a little bit of my personal taste in, in how the video was even made. Cause I feel that that Zeke's taste and mine match up. And uh, after I made that video, it, it like went viral. It went, and I hate to use that word, uh, such a buzzword, but it did. It, it got like almost a million views all over the world and, uh, and like pretty much booked me out for a whole season when it launched. I mean, like it was insane. And uh, right after that happened, I was like, Zeke, we got to make some more videos. So what's another thing that people try to trust you on? And that, that's the album. You know, album is a big, expensive purchase, or it seems expensive. But when you break down what the value of the album is, it's not, it's not just like this object. It's kind of this embodiment, this picture frame for your day, you know, for the whole day, the whole story of the day. Um, when you have something like that your whole life and, and you share it with your kids and your grandkids, that's a pretty big deal. And if you think of it that way, it's not a big investment. And in fact, it's like an absolute necessary thing to do. And a, a video was a way that I could share that, those, those ideas um, and the way I feel about it with everybody in a very efficient way rather than waiting to when we meet in person. So that's the story behind that video. And that video, did, again, did really well. And then I was like, Zeke, we got to do something about film to kind of show, like, why I use it. Like, because people ask, well, you know, I didn't know you even shot film. And then so people are like, why do you do that? It's really old or, you know, people are just kind of perplexed. And I felt it was like really integral to my approach. 
and the way I see the whole wedding day. So we made a video about film. And yeah, it went that went well too. And there's more more videos in the future, but um, it's a great way to add kind of an extra dimension to who you are, to, to people that might not meet you until their wedding day. Yeah. And this video is another good one. <laughs> or this uh, podcast. <laughs> the um, talk a little bit about I mean because you are obviously working with another professional a branding professional I mean I see so many photographers that they try to do everything themselves uh, and I would think a lot of people even would make a video like that themselves and uh, it usually doesn't it's not going to fly as well as somebody that just does it full time that has a shared vision like you're talking about. And that kind of goes for like somebody designing your logo and stuff. Typically photographers aren't good graphic designers. So talk about that. And I know that's something Canlis is really big into, but like putting some of your visual branding in the hands of other people that know what they're doing. Yeah. Absolutely essential. Uh, absolutely essential. Like, I worked in two different startups the two different times that I was reconsidering photography. <laughs> and uh, the thing I learned in those situations was that you do what you're good at and what you're not good at, you hire someone to do for you. And that's just how a business works. I mean, that is how a, biz a real business works. And photographers have to understand that. We're not, we're not graphic designers, we're not writers, we're not a photo lab. Like some people have insane setups in their house to try to like edit 40 million raw photos. We're, we're not a photo lab either. We're not, we're not, a, we're not many things. What we are are artists and photographers and we're trying to be business people. And um, you, at some point you have to let go and understand only who you are and where you want to go. And then explain that to a graphic designer or a video maker, whoever, and let them take the ball and run with it because now they're doing what they're good at, right? So you have to do it. It's really hard, but think of it this way. I have a friend who started a Thai restaurant in Portland, and I think he had to raise like almost half a million dollars to get it off the ground. And this, this is not unusual for a, a restaurant. This is how much money you need in capital to get it going. We as photographers have it pretty easy in a way. I mean, yeah, it's easy to keep buying gear and all this stuff, but really like as far as investing in your website or, or a video, if you book a couple weddings and you make $10,000 or whatever off a few weddings, it's totally not unreasonable to pay a web designer $10,000 or $15,000 to do a really kick-ass job for you um, instead of trying to save money at every turn because that that's going to come back and book you more weddings and explain who you are better. Um, the videos that I had made, I was like literally with some of the last money I had, like when I was relaunching my business, like to where I wasn't sure, you know, if those videos didn't really work out what, what I was even going to do, it was going to be really tough, but man, it was such a good investment. And one thing I learned from that is that when you see a big, what appears to be a big business risk because you're spending a lot of money or you're handing over control. Those are actually the biggest opportunities you're going to have for your business to transform. And you, you have to take those risks and they're scary, but I promise you that 99 times out of a hundred, if, if it feels right when you're doing it, like, like even though it's scary, it's going to benefit you so much. 
Um, so yeah, I had my logo designed by a professional, my website, my videos, um, my business cards, everything. And it's totally worth it. You can't do it all at once. I totally understand for people that are starting, but I always tell people like, instead of like lusting after some Canon L lens, which is like half a stop faster and $3,000 or whatever, really like put that money into a video or your website. And you know, you can buy all the Canon L lenses or whatever later once you're, you know, really established, but don't let your business suffer. Don't, we call it in the startup world, like being undercapitalized. And that means that you haven't, you don't have enough capital invested in your core business. If you're undercapitalized, you're screwed. So, um, yeah. Anyway, I highly recommend it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so given, uh, you know, the, the kind of industry and the economy and all that stuff, um, I mean, how how were you able to kind of keep your business, you know, successful and at a good level, you know, over the past three or four years? Um, the, the absolute key to that um, is I actually did a diagram of it. I did a presentation on it once. And the key of it is, like, most people, there's two different cycles you can be in. So let me, let me, let me put it this way. And the first cycle I was in, and I would imagine that many photographers are in this cycle, is that you look at the wedding industry and you look at everything that's out there and you try to decipher what is good and what is bad. And you go to a wedding and you're thinking, this is what a client wants. You're trying to like anticipate what they want. You know, they're going to want a shot like this or like that, or people jumping up in the air, playing guitar or whatever, which is, in my opinion, a terrible, terrible shot. Um, but I have done it long, long time ago, and, and going out and trying to shoot what people expect you to shoot. So you anticipate that they want you to shoot something, you go shoot it, you come back, you post it on your blog because you feel that you have to show everything that you've ever shot or the client will be offended or whatever. And then the world sees what you've done and they come in and they're like, I'm coming to you because I saw these shots you put up and I want that too. Well, then you get a client that wants shots, again, that have really very little to do with who you are as an artist. And you have to go out and produce that and show it again. And you're trapped in this total hellish cycle, this downward spiral. And I think most people are, are, are in that spiral where they're like, well, I really wanted to shoot it this way, but I'm scared because I think they expect this. So I'm going to do it. And you attract more clients like that. And you're like, why don't I ever get those good clients I really want with the cool weddings and that understand me well it's because whatever you show is what you attract so you break out of that cycle by instead and this sounds this is probably very controversial but you have to shoot everything exactly how you want to shoot it totally 100 percent, no compromise in your gut in your soul in your mind exactly how you as an artist shoots it it should be no different than your personal work at all not one hair different and if you go and start shooting weddings like that, your work is going to be better. You're going to show work that is really who you are. And you're going to attract clients who are like, damn, that is awesome. That's, that is so unique. And you're also going to repel clients who are like, damn, he doesn't have a shot of someone jumping in the air playing air guitar. Like, that's what I really want. And, and, 
And right there, I've just helped you dodge a big fat bullet going right by your head because you don't want that client anyway. You want the client that's like, that's an awesome shot of those people like lying in the mosque, their shoes off, like totally enjoying, you know, the moments after their ceremony. Like that's really thoughtful or really soulful or whatever. Um, so get out of the bad cycle into the good cycle. And I can, I can elaborate more on that if you want. There's like some really radical things you can do to, to jump over. Um, yeah, so I mean, time. Well, yeah, I mean, we'll, we'll keep on that. Uh, I was just going to add that that's something I like, I personally believe in and I'm trying to like, I got stuck in the downward spiral and like totally burn out. And, uh, that's part of the reason I started Musea. Um, but, um, and then I'm kind of rebranding some of my wedding stuff, um, you know, kind of for the, for the short term a little bit, but, um, but I'm trying to do it that way of like, I just want to shoot it. That's why I'm going back to film is like, I want to do it how I want to do it. I'm shooting square format and, you know, yeah. black, mostly black and white, all this stuff. Um, I usually get two rebuttals when I talk to people about what you're explaining. And that is, um, well, A, aren't we supposed to be serving a client? And so you, you just can't ignore what their needs and wants are. Um, and um, I'm blanking on the other one, so start with that. <laughs> I had two points that I just forgot what. Um, I'll think of it. Yeah. Um, so, what would your like answer, you know, to that that be? That is that's the classic rebuttal. I mean, is aren't aren't you there for your client and shooting what they want? And I would say yes, and I'll tell you why. Um, you know, there's shots that you that are all part of the day that you really need to do it's just part of the structure of a wedding day, like formals. Well, I guess it can be different for anyone, but for me, it's like, I love formals. I love portraits, a little bit of photojournalism and the major parts of the day, first look, whatever. Um, but you can do them in your own way. You can do them totally in your own way. And when you do that and you show that the clients that you hire are already totally cool with it. You're already serving them. You know, they're, they're coming to you and going, I really dig how this person shoots whatever portraits or, you know, or for me, it's like focusing a lot on portraits. I love that. So when I hire Kirk, I know that he's just going to do what he loves and I'm going to love it. And we're all going to love it. It's going to be a big old love fest of love of photography because, because your, your client isn't like going to be surprised by it. They're, they're, they're digging it. They're, they're there because they, they connect with what you're showing. Um, so you're really serving the client by being 100% who you are and and being con- and and that is consistency. Let me bring that up. Being who you are is consistent. It doesn't change from day to day or client to client. And there's a lot of trust in that. So it it makes it so much more fun when you're hired to be who you are and shoot how you shoot. I mean, you will you will not burn out. You just won't burn out. And the longer that you stay in photography in this whole industry, the the easier it gets. The the first years when you're trying to just scrape by and get everything figured out, that'll be second nature. And and now you're actually really enjoying it and it and it comes through to your clients and to the world. And yeah, I can't say enough about shooting shooting and showing who you really are as an artist. And yes, you're you're gonna get clients where your vision doesn't match up or they want particular shots and you, you do it for them. And it's totally fine. I mean, they're hiring you. It's a, it's an honor to shoot their, 
to shoot their day, and it's a privilege, and it's, it's an awesome experience, but that doesn't mean you have to show it on your website, and that's fine. That's totally fine. I mean, if you look at, like, Jose Villa, who, who's another inspiration for me, I mean, I think he only shows details and portraits if you look at an entire blog post um, because that's what he really digs, I guess. I mean, that's what I get from it. And if you look through it, I mean, I hardly ever even see a photo of a guest, not even a guest or a ceremony or anybody. It's just the couple, the venue, and details. And I think he's a genius for that. Um, yeah, the other, the other point I had that I get is uh, it's like the fear thing, and they're saying, well, if I do what I really want to do, there's not that many people out in the world that are going to love it. And so there's this fear of like, I'm so unique. I don't yeah. There's it's, it's, it's just within like Western culture in general is like this individual, like we're all, you're all a unique person and there's nobody else in the world exactly like you or whatever. And so we think, Oh, awesome. Everybody has their own unique value. And so that there's, that is awesome. But in a way, it can be a negative thing because we believe that nobody else is like us and somebody else is going to hire us to be like us. Does that make sense? Um, but there are people yeah. that think like you. I mean, humans are social and we form communities all the time. And so I don't think anything is too – I don't think any idea is too left field. Like anytime anybody's pitched me like, what do you think of this idea? I'm like, that's actually different. You need to do that and don't be scared that it's not hireable, you know? Let, let, let me just throw one – let me just throw something out there then. Like I'm going to describe to you two different wedding photographers, okay? These, these are generic people. They, they don't really exist. All right. So, so one photographer is – I'll describe them. They've got, a, they've got a, a Nikon D3. They've got a Nikon D700. They've got a 16 – I don't know all the lenses. I'm a Canon guy, but a 16 to 35 zoom, a 70 to 200, a 50-millimeter lens – Teleconverter, um, some pocket wizards, a strobe, some alien bees, uh, blah, 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 a bunch, a bunch of other lenses, right? And they shoot in digital. Uh, they deliver black and white on one disc and color on another disc. Okay? Now, now remember everything I just said. Right. <laughs> now, so, so that, that's pretty much anybody, right? Probably most people listening. I, I mean, no offense to anyone listening, but, but I just want to kind of blow your mind here. So here's the second photographer, Okay. The second photographer shows up to the wedding with an 8x10 Deerdorf view camera and 20 sheets of film. They're all black and white. Who, which one are you going to remember? Like, which, which of those two people are, are you going to be like, if I went to the website, I'm going to be like, I definitely know which is which. Yeah, 8x10 guy. Yeah, I mean, it's going to be no action. Because eight by ten is really slow, it's probably going to be giant, awesome, moving portraits and maybe a few pictures of the venue or the overall scene on eight by ten. And uh, I'm just throwing that out there. If there's any young photographers that want to like instantly make a bunch of money, do it. Be be the be the, the outlier. Be the one that's different. I mean that that to me I, that's a pretty extreme example, but. I guarantee you there's people out there when they saw, when they see that, they're going to be like, I'm flying you to Rome to shoot my wedding because that's badass. Like, I'm, I'm getting the guy that shoots with the 8x10 Deerdorf, not just another guy with all this other stuff. Not 
Now, not that everything is based on gear and it, and it shouldn't be, but I just want to throw that out there. It's like you, a lot of people want to have all their bases covered and I totally get that. And I used to have a giant bag full of all kinds of lenses and everything, but I can tell you when I started getting rid of almost most of my gear, like my shooting improved and I got a much clearer way of shooting. And at this point I shoot almost the entire day, no matter what format, I'm using like medium format or 30 or 35. I shoot with a 50 and a 35 millimeter lens. That's it. I don't like tall photo shots. I don't like them. Sorry. I hate them. I think they're, they're, they have, they're so cold to me, to me personally. If you, if you dig them, that's cool, but I don't like them. So, you know, last year I was like, no more telephoto. I don't like it. And a few years before that, no more zooms. I don't like zoom lenses. Like, you know, I, I don't know what, the feeling of a 17.3, you know, lenses, and then it, and then the next shot it's at 19.8. I'm talking focal length, like as it's going to the zoom range. There's a lot of there's a lot of feeling at different focal lengths that you'll never learn because you're always in these in between focal lengths with the zoom lens. You know, you're at 17 and you're at 40, whatever. If you shoot with a 35 and a 50 or whatever your favorite lenses are, you could you would know exactly how far away to stand from someone to get exactly what you want. Always. And you'll, you'll know exactly what the distortion is going to be or not. You'll know exactly what a different focal length makes you feel. Yeah. Anyway, don't get me started. Go crazy. <laughs> Go crazy. <laughs> Go crazy. No, I love it. Yeah. I mean, um, and I'm a big believer in simplicity um, and you're actually more creative the more you kind of uh, limit yourself. Uh, but everybody's um, afraid to do that. Uh, but I find like fear is like a huge thing within photographers, especially now. It's like I don't, I don't want to just shoot weddings. I need to shoot six genres so I don't turn any money away, and I don't want to lose anything. Or I, I need to have six lenses so I don't miss any shots. And it's always the fear of the missing something versus yeah. versus the confidence of going after something specific and saying, I believe this one thing is important and then I don't care about everything else. And if I miss something else, it's fine. Cause this one thing is more important, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. But I mean, can you name one photographer, famous photographer who, who did everything with every lens? I, I mean, there's probably a few, but I would say that I would say the people that I remember were very uncompromising and they, they didn't change with anything. You know, they, <laughs> they're, you know, they're a strong Oak. They're not going to bend in the wind. And, uh, and it is totally scary. Yes, definitely scary. I mean, when I change something up, like all of a sudden I'm not bringing a telephoto to, to weddings anymore. You know, I've just decided that's it. No more. Um, then I'm going, oh shit, maybe there's going to be that one photo that I just couldn't get, you know, I couldn't get close enough, whatever. But the thing is, is like over the course of the day, you're going to make so many awesome photos that you should just play to your strengths. I mean, not wasting your time with that telephoto lens means you have more time with your 50, which you're really good at, um, you know, or whatever. So and man, I cannot tell you enough the benefits of traveling light during a wedding, like having a light bag. Yeah. At least for me, I'm not like hot and sweaty and pissed off and tired and feet <laughs> hurt. 
You know what I mean? And I, I swear to God, that's going to make for better pictures too. Like, like my ultimate setup would be like literally like a bucket, like a little like pouch attached to my belt, just full of film with a divider in the middle, like unused film and used film. And then like maybe just my contacts with an 80 on it. And that's it. Like the whole day, like no flashes, nothing. Or like maybe even less than a contacts, like a, like an old, uh, Olympus OM one or whatever, like a super light camera with a 50 and just a big ass bucket of film, man, I'd be so happy at that wedding. I'd be like, I'd be dancing on air. You know, <laughs> I'd have so much energy. Um, and, and I could make it work. Like at least I, I love the 50. So, I mean, I could easily shoot. I could, you know, if I was on an Island the rest of my life, with just a 50. So. Yeah. The, um, anyway. Yeah, I got a. I switched to. I'm shooting a Leica and a Hasselblad now, and just you know, Leica is mostly all my candid stuff. Nothing weighs so sm- nothing, and I have a 35 millimeter on it, so it's so light, and I, I feel so much better because I used to have, yeah, used to have the five lenses and stuff. Even just last year, even, and I was just like, I would come home from a wedding and be like, I never want to shoot a wedding again. Like I'm just miserable, you know. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you're like tired, and all your clothes are messed up because the straps have like pulled them sideways, and yeah, yeah, you're like yeah, you feel like a pack mule. Um, anyway, yeah, totally. all right, uh, well, let's switch uh, gears real uh, real quick. A um, couple of business things. I just I'm curious about. You don't have to do really super long explanations on these, but um, where do you kind of get your, or I guess where do you get most of your clients from now? Is it like Facebook or is it just word of mouth? Is it, you know, some other sort of, uh, system? Uh, good question. Uh, I don't do any paid advertising. Zero, zero. And, uh, I, I personally think most of it just sucks because it's not getting you the right clients anyway. Um, I get clients mostly from word of mouth. I mean, that's as old as the earth. Uh, and then, the other thing too is that you really need to try to get as many things published as possible that you shoot. And I used to think only my very best weddings could, could get published. And and for any clients listening, by when I say very best, like it has details that I know are very hot right now, or whatever, like like magazines want to show or whatever. Uh, I used to think only a few of my things could get published, but if you Really okay. Sorry, you wanted a short answer. I'm kind of going off the rails here, but if you're out there, if you're out there following the the first principle of only shooting what you really want to shoot, like who you are as an artist. That's kind of the bedrock for it. But you also need to shoot a lot of verticals, um, because that's the shape of a magazine page, and you can also do diptychs. So you can take two details and put them together, and it's for some reason it's far more interesting for blogs and magazines than if they were by themselves. Um, and, you know, get it, get a bunch of details, shoot like the artist you are, and then find a way to get it published after you're done. And, um, the way I did it was my, my wife and I made a, uh, Google doc, um, like a spreadsheet. And we went through every wedding blog and publication we could find and ranked them in terms of readership. Um, for a while when we were doing SEO, we ranked them in terms of how valuable the link was from them. And we would submit weddings to them in that order. So we'd, we'd make a note like, you know, submitted on this date. We'd wait 10 days. If they didn't take it, 
we go down the list and submit it to the next one. And every single thing that you shoot can get published somewhere. I guarantee it. I mean, Style Me Pretty posts like, you know, sometimes like four or five things in a day. Um, and then there's lots of other blogs that publish a ton. So I would get a, I would get a lot of work from getting published. That's really key. And it'll also bust you out of your local market. Like you'll start shooting other parts of the world, other parts of the country. Um, and then word of mouth, uh, you know, it's really important, but I swear to you, the most important thing, and I don't, I don't want to be skipped by anyone listening is that you really have to only show, shoot and show what is really your own style. And that is the best marketing of all, because you're going to, you're going to stand out from the noise, like everyone trying to be everything for everybody all the time. So, you know, this is a this is like a message of freedom. Like, yes, that crazy idea, do it. That's that that is not a fear based decision. That's like a freedom based decision. Like, go after what you really love to do. Show it. Like, shout it from the rooftops. Like, this is how I like to shoot. Be uncompromising. Don't don't even show stuff that you don't like. And that is like the best advertising of all because people will be like, you're different. I dig it. You know, I really see you and your work and I want to hire you. And, and then the conversation isn't even about money anymore because you're not a commodity. You're not just like photographer A, photographer B and photographer C. And I'm comparing them by how many pages are in their album or whatever, some other thing that honestly doesn't matter. Now it's like, you know, you're Michael Howard and you shoot square and you have a way of capturing people, you know, in a certain moment and you're not, you know, I can't like switch you out for anyone else. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, and for, for me, maybe, maybe it's portraits or, or directed portraits or creative portraits or whatever. Cause that, that's something I really dig. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, awesome. Real quick pricing. How do you structure your packages in a successful way? Great question. Super important because because your whole business kind of sits on that too. It's on your pricing structure. Um, the worst thing you can do is like sit around and kind of pull numbers out of the air. Like I feel that I'm going to have four packages, and the first one is going to be this, and the second one is going to be this, and the third one is going to be this, and so on. Um, you need to drop mad science on this. Like there, there's like a real there's real homework you have to do. This isn't just like a total pull out of your butt kind of thing. Um, there's a great free pricing strategy homework guide thing that I found very useful. Um, it's by this photographer named Stacy Reeves, and maybe you could post a link to it, or I could give it to you later. I can't remember what it is, but if you Google, if you just Google Stacy Reeves R E E V E S pricing guide. Um, it'll give you some homework to do. It's a, it's like a 50 page PDF, probably take you a few days to do, but what it'll do is help you establish what your baseline pricing has to be in order to keep your doors open and, and pay yourself and like be like a normal business, like every other business, <laughs> um, where, where, uh, where you got to figure out, you know, this is the line in the sand. I have to make this much money per wedding, you know, and I have to conservatively, you know, whatever book, 15 weddings at 
some number in order to stay open. And when you have that number, just that very basic number, it shows you what your time is worth, what a shooting day is worth, and it gives you a line in the sand to be like, I will not step over this line with the client. I will not negotiate under this line because if I do it, I'm losing money. And that day is gone. And that, that's a super powerful psychological thing to have. And then from there, you can learn from people like Jonathan Canlis or, or other people on how to create other revenue streams per wedding. So like selling prints, um, whatever, selling the disc of images to, to people other than the, the bride and groom, extra albums. Um, you know, it, it, it'll help you establish everything. So, And then the other part, to kind of dig into pricing a little more, is once you figure out what your, your baseline pricing is for a day, so say say you need to you need to make thirty five hundred dollars per wedding, you have to make that outside of like whatever it costs you to shoot it. So you have you hire an assistant, you know you have to add that on top of that number. You have an album you give them, you have to add that on top too. Everything that it, it costs you to, to to make that day happen, you have to add on top of that number, and that that should be your very basic price for that package. Um. And then the second part is you have to have an a la carte list on your pricing sheet somewhere because that's what a, a couple is going to look at to establish the value of everything in your package. You see what I'm saying? Like what an hour of your time is worth, what an album is worth, what a disc of images is worth, whatever. And uh, I hope, I guess it doesn't matter if I say this, um, you put in a discount in the package and the discount is recognized by the client by looking at the a la carte sheet, right? So you're, you're kind of like encouraging people to work up, it's called kind of going up the ladder, working up the ladder of packages that you offer because you're giving a little bit better discount as you go up. And that's how every business works. I mean, most businesses that offer any kind of packages. Um, yeah. Yeah. So Jumbo, packages, yeah. And you want to work people up the ladder. It's very easy to work people down the ladder where it's like, oh, it's not so much of a better deal if I go to the next package. It's actually, you know, I'll just, I'll get my album later, whatever, and I'm going to go down lower. But what happens is they never make an album because it's a really hard process. And you also lose potential income as a photographer because you didn't show the value of going up the ladder and getting that album or whatever the next thing is. So, yeah. Anyway. Um. Good. Yeah, I love it. Uh, we were on a part of a, like I said, Facebook group together, and uh, a couple weeks ago, you really blasted like the PPPA, PPA magazine. <laughs> and I told oh you God. I was going to bring it up, and uh, I just was going to have you kind of reiterate maybe a little bit of your thoughts about that experience about looking at their magazine and uh, just kind of some industry observations from you on that. I'd be happy to, um, I might not be making any friends saying this or maybe a lot of friends. No, I mean, if you, if you're, if you're who you are, you're going to repel and attract people. So, right. (laughs) um, I've been kind of outside of the industry for 10 years. Like I, uh, for the first part of it, I was outside of it because I thought I wasn't good enough which is kind of a weird, a weird thing, but I just felt like I didn't want to show anyone my work because I didn't feel it was there yet. And then lately I, uh, and then I, I kind of had success outside of the industry anyway. So I was like, whatever. 
there's, I'm sure there's a lot of cool stuff going on, but I'm, I'm too busy. Well, uh, I looked into getting indemnity insurance. So this is insurance like that goes beyond property and like someone getting hurt and you losing your camera equipment. This is like insurance, like if you had to fly everyone back to the same spot and have the wedding reshot or whatever, like some like crazy stuff insurance. And the only people that offer it is PPA and it's really affordable. I highly recommend it. I would join PPA every, I will every year just for that, but they send you a magazine, right? And I looked at it and I was like, Oh my God, is this the mainstream wedding industry? Is this what it is? Um, because, and this sounds really bad, but man, it was just, it is just not good. It, it, it is like oversaturated, crazy looking photos, very superficial, no feeling in my opinion. Um, it's very, it's very like gear and software focused. Like every page was like, buy something, buy something, buy something. You suck unless you buy this. You suck unless you go to this workshop. I mean, they don't say you suck, but you know, it's kind of like, like if you miss out on this, you're a fool. Um, and I looked at this and I'm like, this is the same kind of situation as like a young girl, you know, growing up and then like being handed Cosmopolitan magazine or some magazine telling her that she's ugly, you know, kind of in, a, in an offhand way by not matching up to this standard. And, and I feel that, that that must be how it is for a lot of new photographers. They, they look at this industry, they go to WPPI or PPA or whatever, those big, huge conventions. And they're like, damn, I need like off-camera lighting and these bags and these albums and this thing and that thing and this software that like fixes all my portraits and, and everything's got to be saturated. And I need textures in the sky and yellow things and vintage suitcases and all this stuff. And it's so overwhelming and I'm not good enough. I'm not good enough. I got to spend all this money on workshops and blah, blah, blah. And I just saw that. And I was like nauseated. I'm like, I, and I posted that message. I was like, you know, for people that are starting out, this, this stuff is poison. It's poison. It, it totally goes against the reason you got into photography, I hope, in the first place, is that you love you love people. You love studying people. You, you love finding beauty in the world. You love, you love the process. The process is really fun. And when you see a magazine like that, man, it, yeah, don't read it. <laughs> <laughs> It's not, it sounds terrible, but don't. I mean, look outside the industry. Like, look at people, look at other people outside the industry for inspiration or or don't look at anything in the industry. Just just feel it. Just go out and shoot what you want to shoot, you know. Make it your own um, exploration of life, you know, a way of, like, seeing life. But uh, I, I think if I would have been just sucked into that industry, I, I don't think I'd be the same right now. So I'm, I'm very thankful for that. And... Um, for those out there exploring film or, or still in digital and, and cool with digital and, and you want to do it your own way and, and you're not satisfied, there's something inside of you going, man, this stuff blows, but I have to like it because this is what the industry is doing. You know what? Go seek each other out and form your own group. You know, go set up your own photo walk. Talk, go meet in a cafe and talk about photography the way you want to. I, I do that all the time with people in Seattle. Call me, or well, may not call me. Email me, and I would love to meet you. In Seattle, we can talk about it. We can go on a walk. We can, you know, go shoot photos, whatever. But um, don't let the industry 
mess with your head because the industry is crap. It's full of snake oil. I swear to you. <laughs> it is. It really is. You don't need all that stuff. Yeah. You don't need any of that stuff. Uh, all right. So I've got three questions. I want to play a little rapid fire for you. They're from one's from Twitter, two are from Facebook. Uh, so just hard, quick. All right. Sure. Uh, one Tom Wright, he said, asks, how much do you think your choice of equipment affects the way you work? Um, very much. I mean, hundred percent. So, I mean, I, uh, I, I, I shoot the contact six, four, five, like probably a billion other people at this moment um, because it is the best portrait machine on earth. The 80 millimeter lens wide open. I mean, there's nothing like it. So yes, that affects my work. Um, other than that one thing, I've got some really basic equipment. I've got a EOS three, a 35 millimeter F2 lens. I don't own any L lenses anymore. I think they're, I, I don't need them. They're just so heavy. Um, yeah, that totally affects my work. I travel light. I use normal and slightly wide lenses. So that, that affects everything I do. And, and I shoot mostly film, but I, I do mix in a little digital for receptions. Uh, next question. What do you know now that you wish you knew back in the day? Number one thing is shoot what you really feel like you should be shooting and don't, don't listen to all the little voices around you like the industry or, or what you see on other people's blogs or whatever. So be, I mean, I'm sure everyone says this, be true to yourself, whatever, shoot your vision, but um, show only what you really feel represents you and shoot the same way. And if I would have known that I would be so much farther ahead. So, yeah, I didn't even pick the camera until I was like 20, 21 or 22. So, um, that was from uh, Neil Carpenter. He was on the Film Shooters uh, oh, cool. group or whatever. Awesome. Uh, okay. This is this is a tough one. Brian uh, Bartlett. He wants to know how many push-ups can you do in a minute? Minute? Um, <laughs> I don't know. Fifteen. Fifteen. Awesome. Yeah. <laughs> cool. Well, dude, that's all I got. I mean, I. That was some solid uh, advice and very inspirational. So it was good. Appreciate it, man. Cool. Yeah, no, my, my pleasure. Definitely. And uh, again, anyone in the Seattle area want to hang out, just let me know. Awesome. So. Awesome. Cool. Well, uh, have a good day, man. Appreciate it. Yeah. Yeah, no problem. Thank you.